Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, welcome to the Chronic Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Marlborough. It's Monday. Andrew, uh, the Saints lost to Atlanta on Thursday. It feels like five years ago now. They're five and seven. Uh, Russell Wilson for Seattle threw a touchdown in overtime yesterday, and I think killed the Saints' playoff dreams. It's it's it's, it's done with. It's over. Um, they're not they're not going to the playoffs. They're probably not even going to get to eight wins. Um, where where I want to start with is the Atlanta game. What to you stuck out about it uh, in regards to Drew Brees having the worst game of his life? Well, first of all, Ralph, I just want to say real quick that I agree realistically there's no shot. But, um, you know, I'm going to root for the Saints no matter how unrealistic or how um, fantasy-like it is. I'm going to root for the bitter end, you know. If they need help, I'm going to root for those things to happen. I'm going to root for them to win games. So, until they're 100% mathematically eliminated, you know, I'm not giving up hope. I mean, you know, obviously, based on the way they're playing, it's not looking good. No, but, you uh, could, Yeah. No, you could, uh, I agree. You know, I'm not going to start I'm not going to start rooting for them to lose for draft picks until it's mathematically not possible. You know, yeah. I'll be rooting for them. I'll put a bet on them when I go to Vegas this weekend and look. But it's over with. They're not Yeah. It's not happening. You know, I mean, and, and you well, know. Yeah, it's going to take a miracle for yeah. sure. But um, anyway, responding to your question, I really felt like it was a the Heath Schuler era. Oh, my of God. All over again. Gee, that's and bad. The I, it was that bad. And the reason I say that is when Heath Schuler was playing quarterback, there were games where the Saints just got blown out, where they were absolutely, the other team was better and they got blown out. But there were a lot of times where he Schuler would play like utter dog mess, but Mario Bates would run for a long touchdown or the defense would come up with a turnover or Doug Bryan would hit a big field goal. And, and it was just one of those things where the Saints kept hanging around. And as a fan, you would say to yourself, why? Why are you doing this to me? Why, why, are, you, why are you hanging around and giving me false hope? And because you knew that – with the game on the line, eventually, the next drive or the drive after that, Nishuler was going to throw a god-awful pick six to just run the dagger through your heart once again. And so that's what it kind of felt like. It, it, that game reached a point after Breeze threw his third pick. And, you know, there was one pick that was called back. Uh, there was another one that was dropped where he basically threw it right at an offensive lineman like, or defensive lineman, like, hey, I don't want you to sack me here. Just take the ball. And he kind of flipped it to him, and he dropped it. But um, it, it just felt like 
you knew another interception was coming. You you felt like that yeah. that offense got to a point where no possible result could come from an offensive play other than an interception. And that's when when Raphael Bush ripped that ball out and recovered it and ran for a touchdown. It was one of the only times in Deshaun Payton Drew Brees era where I didn't have any hope. Like usually when they come up with a wacky play like that. I'll think to myself, holy shit, they've got a chance. Yeah. And, and I've always felt that way because I've always felt like with Drew Brees, anything can happen. But in that game, towards the end, it, it felt like the Heath Schuler. And I was well, telling well, Raphael Bush, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you giving me false hope? I know Brees is going to throw another pick if he gets the ball again. Stop it. Well, the thing is, and look, I know football is, is complete. They're completely different sports, obviously. But if Drew Brees was a pitcher – You'd have taken him out, yeah. and and it wouldn't. You know, I know they don't do, they don't do that in football, and they never the teams never even consider it. But that's one of those times where it's like, you know what, buddy, it's just not your night. We're just going to pull you, and you go back in the next week. But I know football, you can't do that because it creates a whole other mess of you know we benched him and what what's the deal? But I mean, it was just it was just a it was just a death spiral upon a death spiral, and and I believe that. When Sean Payton, when he goes into negotiations, whenever he starts with the Saints, he's just going to play the end of the first half and the entire second half of the game on a loop in front of Mickey Loomis. And, game. Don't forget the 49 yeah, and, and just say, pay me, bitch. Pay me. And any time they do it, he's just going to replay Breeze not knowing the clock and saying, pay me. Pay me. <laughs> Pay me. And look, and, you know, it's it's just Sean Payton, it, it, he matters, and his his brilliance is play calling and knowing the situation because, look, the Saints, in six years that he's been on the sideline, Andrew, they have not once had the Andy Reid classic clock fuck up. In six years, they've never had one. He's not on the sideline. Then they have one that's catastrophic. That, to me, is not a coincidence, you know? And also, too, yeah. I just think one of the things that makes Sean Payton so great is he knows players, he knows when to yell at them and push buttons and when to say, hey, we'll get them next time. This is what we need to do to fix. And I don't think anybody has that sort of relationship with Breeze to know exactly what to do. And I think Sean Payton maybe could have fixed it and got it right, and the Saints could have won that game in spite of Drew Breeze's mess. You know? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think I'm finally coming to the point where I realize that Pete Carmichael has not done a great job this year. And, you know, you look at it comparatively to Sean Payton, and I think it's unfair to compare anyone to Sean Payton because I, I feel like Sean Payton is, is the standard. Yeah. You know, he is, and, and not just by Saints standards, I, I mean in the NFL, in the entire league. You know, when you compare the great offensive play callers, um, Sean Payton's right up there at the top of that list. And yeah. so. Uh, you know, Carmichael has tailed by comparison, and, and the reason I say that is um, you look at how poor the balance was early um, offensively, and it had to come in, you know, after Cromer. And, you know, I, we, we don't know what Cromer and Carmichael's relationship is like, and Cromer had a lot to worry about. And, you know, he probably said to Carmichael, look, you just do your thing. I, you know, I'm not going to look over your shoulder. And, um, you know, and so Vic comes in, and he's like, well, hang on a second, Pete. You know, you're not – you're not doing this. You're not running the football enough. You know, you're you're going to need to commit back to this. I don't like what I'm seeing. And so, 
they brought the reins in a little bit, but now it's gotten to a point where um, they've got the balance, um, but Breeze is kind of um, imploding. Yeah. So kind of. I, I just feel I, I feel like Peyton would have been able to nip that in the butt pretty quickly, and and I I feel like Carmichael just a lot of times he doesn't have the answers. Well, big I, problems think, to I think you know we've said it a bunch of times, and I, I said it, you know, we said it. I, I said it early in the year is that, look, you know, people focus in on the, the play calling, you know, you, you, this play call, this play call, this play call. And I think you need to take a – for the Saints, what they're missing is sort of a broader picture. The play call is – The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Itself isn't that important. Pete Carmichael showed last year when Sean Payton broke his leg, Pete Carmichael was calling plays, and Sean Payton let him do it the rest of the year, and Sean Payton found, you know what? When I don't call the plays, I actually have more freedom because I can look at the game, and it's not the specific play call. It's looking out and saying, Pete, run the ball more, or Pete, they're doing this. You need to get tackle eligible there. You need to run You need to run uh, double You know this, this three-wide receiver formation, and the play call oh, yeah. isn't as important as knowing – what the other team is doing, and how the flow of the game's going. And that's just one of those things, Andrew, that makes Sean Payton special. He just, he's really thematic. Let's make no no mistake, Ralph. Whether he's calling the place or not, if he's on the sidelines, you rest assured he is making a major difference in some way or another. Yeah, no, and that's absolutely true. And I just, you know, it, it just, it just, Look, listen, people, it just matters, and, you know, uh, the Saints season was stillborn as soon as Goodell made Sean Payton not be on the sideline the entire year. Um, yeah. I mean, one, one other thing I wanted to point out, Ralph, real quick is about that, um, because it's related before we get off topic. Um, one thing I've also noticed with Carmichael is that the plays don't get in as quickly. Yeah. I, and that, as compared to last year, and – that has a significant bearing on Breeze's ability because Breeze is making a lot of the protection audible and then the line calls at the line of scrimmage. You know, I mean, when you hear him saying, kill, 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 and, you know, he'll fake a snap, he'll see where their blitzers are coming from, and then he'll direct his line accordingly. He doesn't have as much time to do that and play around pre-snap because the plays are not coming in as quickly. And, and also- that, 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 that's another thing, you know, Sean Payne with his experience, he puts that play in there, and he gives Breeze the time to go to work. And so what happens when he's not getting the time to make those protection shifts, he's getting hit more. He's getting sacked more. He's getting hurried more. And That's also, crucial. And also, too, when you're, getting, when, when you're constantly snapping the ball with one second left, 
defenses know that too. They look at the they look up at the play clock as well and say, "You got one second left. You're snapping it now." Right. You know. So I, I think I think that's a I think that's a great point. Um, you know, uh, look the offense. It, it was a just it was a, a disaster, and the shame of it was they, in spite of it all. They were down 17-13. I turned to my wife. I said, I cannot believe they're going to fucking win this game as bad as they started. They're totally dominated. I think they're going to pull it out. And he threw more interceptions. And um, the one bright spot, Andrew, is the defense, they covered fantastic. Julio, the the wide receivers for Atlanta did nothing. Uh, The run, the, the defense, besides the first series, was everything you could ask for. Um... And I said my column after that, it was borderline heroic how great they played. And my question is, as the as the defense in your mind, because you look at the you look at the film and analyze it, have they really turned a corner, or is Atlanta's offense just not that good? Well, I think there were some drive killers on Atlanta's part. Um, you know, Roddy White dropped the ball. Um, there was a play that, that Julio should have come up with a ball. There's a couple plays where um and you know, a couple plays where they got tackled close to the to the fourth down marker and or first down marker and I remember thinking to myself, God, Mike Smith, please don't go for it. Please don't go for it and they would punt. Um so I mean there, there was a couple things like that. There were more Atlanta's doing than the Saints. Um but overall no, I, they're they're definitely turning a corner and and it starts, I mean, Spagnuolo, we, we've said this from the very start, his defense is all about pressure with the front four, and they're starting to get that, you know, and, and Cam, Cam Jordan has, has kind of turned the corner. And um, I think another thing, and we talked about this earlier in the season, is Will Smith has some brutal matchups, um, you know, playing against some offensive line and some left tackles in particular that are elite. And um, the guys he's starting to play now are either just not as good or, you know, their second string or third string guys because the starters are banged up. And um, so that's made a difference too, you know, as offensive lines, you know, later in the year, they always get a little bit worse. And so the Saints have been able to generate more pressure. And so I think that's part of it. And I, I think second, secondly, um, the secondary is starting to get it. You know, I, I, I think you saw major lapses in coverage. Um, with Patrick Robinson specifically in the safeties where they just got totally confused by the defensive call. Um, and so in the last few weeks, we've seen that a little bit less. So um, am I ready to call the defense good? Absolutely not. Uh, but um, they're not playing like the worst defense in NFL history anymore. Well, my my question basically, you know, because look, you know, anybody who listens to this podcast, consistently and goes to your website knows that you are you have done extensive research and different things on the Saints cap and the Saints cap I'm gonna use a technical term now uh going into 2013 they're fucked uh so (laughs) it's a football it's a football savvy term for our hardcore listeners uh so they will not be able to make a ton of moves like they did this past off season so they're going to have to Either do it through the draft, uh, bottom of the rung free agencies like veteran guys and hope to hit a bunch of lottery tickets like Darren Sharper, or they're going to have to say, Andrew, look, we've come around, we're sticking with the personnel we got, those are the options, so is is the defense, if it can maintain the level that it's played the last four weeks or pretty close to it, 
and you were in the meeting with the Saints, and they said, Andrew, do we keep the defense we have, or do we make changes? At do we make significant changes? And no, you're going to make these changes, and we're not going to have money to spend. What do you do? Oh, Ralph, if the defense played that way for the first four weeks of the season, it would have been four and out. It would have absolutely, at worst, three and one. So, I mean, if you're asking me, if if you could promise me right now that that this same personnel could perform the same way they did on Thursday for the entirety of next season, I'm not cutting a single guy. I'm keeping every player, and you know, I'm I'm rolling with with the same guys. But like you said, I I think it, it's hard, even even high draft picks, guys that are really talented. It's hard for them to come in year one, especially on defense. You know, I think on offense it's a little bit easier um, to come in, you know, a receiver that's very talented. You saw A.J. Green um, kind of make an impact in his first year and got his second year. I mean, he's, he's, he's unbelievable now. But, um, you know, running backs their first year, Pierre Thomas made a quick impact. It's a lot tougher for rookies to come in year one and play well defensively because the schemes are more difficult. There's a lot of concepts to grasp. And so – uh, and especially in this day and age, you're seeing more situational guys that come in, um, especially early in their careers. So I just feel like it's going to be hard to draft a guy that's going to come in immediately, be a starter, and dominate. Um, so I think to a certain extent, and look, I mean, they may have to let go of a couple guys like Vilma, Will Smith, and Harper anyway um, due to the cap. Um, you know, I, if you ask me right now between those three, I'd say we'll be lucky if one of them is still there next year. Um, but beyond that, no, I, I think they've got to stay with the personnel they've got. Um, they may have to lose a couple veterans and hope that guys like Gillette, Cam Jordan, Hakeem Hicks, some of the younger guys that are in the system now continue to develop. Well, let me let me let me ask you this: If you would rank, you know, you said Vilma, uh, Will Smith, and Harper. If you had to rank the the, I think Vilma's look, Vilma's gonna be gone. If you had yeah, to, if, fine, if, if I had to say Will Smith or Roman Harper, one of them's gonna be gone. Which one do you think is most likely to be gone? Uh, well, I think Will Smith is older. He is on the last year of his deal. He's more expensive, um, but he's a better player between the two. So that that's a little bit tougher, you know, because I know I know that Will Smith would restructure. In fact, I think he already did this year. Um, but I think I'd have to stick with Roman Harper. Um, if I have a choice between the two, because I feel like um, even at the expense, I mean, Will Smith, for, for all that he does, which is solid, um, I think what this team needs right now is just more explosiveness at the defensive end position. Um, you know, and, and especially if we're going to stick with Spags in the scheme, he, he's going to need more um, pass rushing out of his front four. So um, whether that's getting rid of Will Smith, giving Junior Galette a start and, and letting him just get after it, or it's, you know, bringing in another guy, whatever it's going to be. Um, I think that's probably I'd, I'd ditch Will Smith. Yeah, the interesting thing, and I give I give Spags a, a ton of credit for this. I, and he, I was listening, I try to listen to his press conference every week, and he said something a couple of weeks back, you know, with Corey White, and he said, you know, I learned a hard lesson when when you have these young players in the secondary, and you need a nickel or a dime corner, and you just the rookies they make mistakes, and you just keep cycling them in, and you go through them, and you you change him around. He said, I learned early on that if you have a rookie that you like, you need to play them and you need to let them get the reps. 
And he said, we did that with Corey White, and now it's paying off. And, of course, he got injured the next week against Atlanta, and he's missed some time. But I like that about Spags, that he was honest and that, look, I think they have something in Corey White. I think you can, I think you can or argue that Corey White is going to be a nickel corner or a dime corner, and maybe his ceiling is a number two corner, which is really good, and they've played him, and he'll hopefully be better next year, which is a good thing. With Hakeem Hicks, uh, do you do you see those guys? Where do you where if you had to grade those guys and say, hey, what what are those two guys' ceilings? What would it be? Well, Corey White was so bad at the beginning of the year. Um, I'm still having trouble forgiving him for that. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, he was a major reason why the Saints were, or I guess still are, the, the worst defense in NFL history through through 12 games. Um, but, you know, I, I think Corey White has turned a corner, you know, like his last couple games um, since before the injury were promising. You know, he was starting to play a little bit better. But um, as far as I'm concerned at this point, I still haven't seen enough from Corey White to make me believe that he's anything other than a player that just can't cut it. Um, so I'm going to need to see more before I become a believer in Corey White because, um, you know, yeah. the first five, six weeks of the season um, – Quarterbacks were finding whoever he was covering and torching him at will. In fact, he he was probably the worst player on the worst defense in NFL history. So, um, Akeem Hicks is a completely different story. Um, I've pretty much bought into him, and I know you have too since minute one. Um, I would like to have seen him get more reps. I feel like anytime he's in there, he's making an impact. He's huge. He's quick. He's explosive. Um, I feel like it's amazing how many times he just comes in and straight up beats his man in the inside. And I really think to, my, my feeling for Keen Hicks is, is a, not only a starter, but a guy that can give you, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about a defensive tackle that's going to give you, you know, Warren Sapp like numbers in the sack department, but I think he's a guy that can give you consistently based on his size. Um, what we got from Cedric Ellis in year two through four which was, you know, five to six sack seasons, very stout against the run, disruptive against the pass, physical, athletic. And, in fact, I think his ceiling may even be higher than Cedric Ellis' peak. So, um, I, I, to me, I'll be disappointed if, when it's all said and done with Akeem Hicks, if he doesn't turn out to be a guy that was in the same system and was a solid starter for several years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I think that's a fair. I mean, I think that's a fair, that's a fair evaluation of him. And you know, for all the things of hey, he went, he, you know, he came from Canada, this and that. Don't forget, LSU recruited that kid. And look, LSU has basically D-line you the last five or six years. And look, if you get a scholarship from LSU, that means most likely you're a you're a you're a three to five star recruit. I think he was a four star guy. So. LSU looked at him, and other SEC schools said that kid's got the physical tools to play in the SEC. So it, you know, it isn't like yeah. he was. It isn't like he was some tiny try-hard guy out of Canada. I mean, he was a he was a physical specimen. And I just look at him, and he just he's one of those guys that that jumps off the screen on the defensive line, which is a which is a positive. And look, the Saints are going to need it. Uh, because they, you know, hopefully Goodell will give them back the draft pick. We'll just have to see. Um, 
sort of where you know where they're at come draft time. But we have plenty of time to do that. But Andrew, um, I'm working on a column for WWL, and my thing was, you know, what are the reasons that the Saints season failed besides Goodell screwing it at the beginning? You know, it was it was doomed from the beginning. It, but but what on-field things did them in, and we've discussed some of them, but I think one of the things that we overlooked, Andrew, and I admit I was completely wrong about this, was, you know, the Saints, I looked at it in the summer, I said, you know, if they're going to do well, I think the schedule sets up really nice for them, because they got Washington out of the gate with a rookie quarterback, then they had Carolina, then they had Kansas City, and I was like, those are three very, very winnable games, and it'll help them, because they'll have the interim, interim coach, and they'll have all this chaos, but they'll be playing really bad teams, I was completely wrong. I think it would have been better for them, Andrew, if they'd have played Atlanta and Denver and uh, Green Bay all early because I think the interim, interim chaos bullshit, I don't think anything was overcoming that. And I just think if you had the same – if the last two weeks instead of playing Atlanta and San Francisco, if they would have played Kansas City and Carolina – the Saints team as it is constructed now would be 7-5 and five because they were just better off when they had Joe Vitt and they had a guy who was a head coach and not the interim-interim stuff. And I think it's just one of the many breaks that hasn't gone their way, starting with the commissioner, of the schedule really, really worked against them. And I'll be the first to admit I was completely wrong. I, I, thought, it, I thought it favored them, the early week schedule. Yeah, well, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think we all felt like, man, this is this is a great six-game stretch for Cromer. You know that. You know, yeah. I, I mean, at worst, I was thinking, you know, maybe he'll be three and three at worst. You know, through the six-game stretch, and he started off zero and four. So, um, no, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, I think you got to look at all of it, and, and I, I agree with you. I, I looked at that schedule when it first came out, and I said, man. Um, Washington with their rookie quarterback starting in his first game, Carolina, Kansas City. I mean, I think every Saints fan looked at that schedule and thought 3-0. Um, and so, yeah, it really backfired. You're right. And um, that's one of the few things that, well, I, I, we don't know how much input Roger Goodell has on the schedule, so maybe he, maybe he screwed the Saints in that, from that perspective as well. But, um, no, I, I agree. You know, look, I, I think in hindsight – them getting dump trucked early by good teams would have maybe waken them up sooner. Um, and B, um, I think ha- having a chance to play weaker teams at this point in the schedule um, when they were peaking um, would have been more advantageous. So, you know, it, it's you, you look at the difference between San Francisco and, and, and the Falcons, who right now are top two teams in the NFC. Uh, maybe along with the Giants, the top three teams. But um, they they were right there. I mean, one or two plays, you know, really the difference wasn't the defense. It was Drew Brees, you know, and, and just horrible turnovers and him basically playing the worst football of his career. And that aside, they won both of those games. And, uh, you know, they had they had uh, the 49ers dead to right um, in the first half until that pick six. And uh, the defense completely shut down the Falcons. So, um, really, really, the difference between that is, is Brees playing a little bit better, maybe Sean Payton being in the mix. That's it. Yeah. But you know, but yeah, I mean, if they were playing the Panthers now or the Chiefs now, there's no way they're losing those games. No, I mean they're just they're just better, and then Joe Vitt, it's more they're more organized and all that sort of stuff. I mean, so that they're was actually what, running the ball. Yeah, 
And look, that was one of the, the one of the things that might come. We'll get to we'll get to that. Um, I look at this this Saints offensive line, and, and we'll begin with give me your grades for De La Puente. I feel like the the middle of the line isn't as good, and I don't I don't sense that it's that it's Grubbs being a failure. I think Grubbs has been a really nice addition for the Saints and the price that they got him at. I think De La Puente is not. Maybe he just he was hidden because they had two All Pro guards and now they only have one. But I don't think he's been nearly as consistent and good as he was last year. I think that's a fair statement. I think De La Puente's played okay. I know the Saints really like him, um, and he is good against the run. Um, I think he make he, he. I always feel like he makes one or two mistakes. Um, every game, when you look at, at kind of the plays in more detail, and that, that haunt the Saints and invite them, and you know it causes a sack or it causes a big play. Um, but uh, you know he, he's been okay, um, and, and uh, you know for better or for worse, I mean I think he's the one guy. Um, I just think the Saints' tackle position in general is not great. I think Bushrod was playing at a really high level for a while. And what what happened? And you know the right tackle problem it, it, it caused a domino effect um, because he, I mean Zach Streep was not ready to play last week and that was a disaster putting him in there. Um, but you know the minute you have a right tackle, we have Xavier down here, fourth string right tackle. That means he's getting more help, which means Bushrod's out on an island, which means he's starting to get beat, which means Breeze is having to step up in the pocket more which means now the interior line is having more pressure on them. And Del Puente has been um, struggling, obviously, more than the two guards, who overall been, have had both really solid seasons. I think you, if you walk away from this year, you say, well, man, Jari Evans and Ben Grubbs both have played really well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think part of Del Puente's problem is, you know, like I said, the, the offensive line kind of has a domino effect um, once you look at um, – the uh, the tackles getting injured um, and, and Bushrod's play dropping and then you know it, it goes from there. But um, I think he's okay. I still think he's a starting caliber center and, and he's so cheap. I mean, remember he was an undrafted free agent. Yeah. So he, that, that's the contract that he's on, and I'm sure the Saints can keep him at that contract for at least another year or two. And based on the the cap situation that they have, um, I don't think they really have any choice but to stick with him. Well, here's and, the- and I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. Well, here's the well, here's the issue with all. I mean, you documented their cap issues, and and they're they're so capped out. That's even before you know Bushrod is a free agent, and my thing is, I think Bushrod, there's a good chance he'll be back because I think Mickey Loomis will be able to massage the cap enough to to get everybody back if the if he doesn't get a ridiculous contract. And my feeling is. Andrew, I don't think he's going to get a big, huge deal from anybody because, one, he was a free agent in 2011, and he had started for the Saints when they won the Super Bowl, and the next year he'd start all the games, and teams didn't fall all over themselves. And I think the Saints re-signed him like two years. It was like $11 million, I think. Um, and also, too, I think Robert Meacham being such a dud in San Diego, I actually think it works in the Saints' favor regarding their free agents because I think teams will look at that and say, you know what? When the Saints don't want a guy like Robert Meacham, you know, or Tracy Porter, when they let guys leave, that's a bad sign. And I think teams look at Saints wide receivers 
and certain and Saints offensive linemen for the most part, and they say they're system guys. And I think it works to the Saints' favor. So I think it's likely that Bushrod is going to be back. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, I, if they can keep him something similar, you know, two years, ten million, two years, eleven million, I, I guess I could live with that. I mean, I would hope it would be less, but you know, I think Bushrod. I mean, I, I think the whole point with Bushrod was he kind of entered um, free agency that that weird year, you know, with yeah. the. Um, with the um, lockout, and so um, I think he he felt maybe like his um, his value was um, he he was undervalued, you know, because of the, the, the situation. Yeah, maybe with, so. With the lockout, and so I, I think he'll want to test the free agency market and see what he's worth. I mean, my, my concern is, you know, as always, I feel like medium to mediocre tackles are so hard to find in the you know, league, and, and there's so few and far between that. Um, I was surprised he came back to the Saints when he did, you know, because I really felt like someone would throw stupid money at him, um, kind of just because they needed a tackle. And uh, there's a lot of teams out there that need tackles. And so, Arizona. Uh, but, but, but yeah, but sure enough, I mean, he came back to the Saints on, on a reasonable deal. And so I don't think he's done anything in the last two years, to be honest, um, to really up his value. I think he's, he's the same player he was a couple years ago, which is, still a decent tackle. I think he's good. Um, but it's just hard to say. It's hard to say. I mean, all it takes is one team, though. Yeah, that's true. One desperate team yeah. in the middle of in the middle in in the middle of March or the beginning of April before the draft. So that's yeah. that's true. But you know, um it'll play out. You know, I've been last time I was pretty right on free agency. I was wrong. I thought Tracy Porter would get better deals than he got, but he and he ended up getting nothing. He ended up getting no deals as well. So and signed a one year deal with Denver. Um I wonder I wonder with Tracy Porter though if he didn't get a deal because of the uncertainty of suspensions. That is yeah, that that's true. I forgot about that. And and then and he's not playing right and he's not injured. There's something not quite right with him. Hopefully he'll get healthy and well. Um just because I like him, because look, Super Bowl. I mean, he'll always have a soft, always have a soft spot for uh, for Tracy Porter. Um, this team, you know, Andrew on offense, Jimmy Graham to me has had a really, he's had a really strange progression. I feel like this year that he's having should have been his year last year, and last year would be this year. Like he hasn't gone on the, on the upswing where he got, he's gotten a little bit better, a little bit better and then breaks out. You know, it's almost like his first year he didn't play at all. Then he got a little bit better. And at the end you're like, Oh yeah, he's coming on strong. And then last year he was superb. And this year he's kind of dropped back down. Um, what do you see on the film that, that with Jimmy Graham? I mean, I don't know if his, his ankle is still bothering him, but, um, I, you know, there, there's a lot of times where I just don't think he's he's a very like attention to detail type player. You know, it's just so sloppy. His, his routes, a lot of times, he's just jogging and he doesn't look the ball in, and you know, he he kind of half-asses his box. I mean, he's just not a guy with sound technique, and and part of that's just being raw. You know, part of that's just being a guy that um, doesn't have a lot of experience playing football. But I do think his success last year. Um, may have been a little bit of a negative because, um, you know, maybe it, it went to his head a little bit and maybe he thought it came easy. Um, but 
you know, I think we just have to hope that this off season is going to serve as a motivator to Jimmy Graham to realize that um, he's got to work hard. Um, he's got a he's payday got a, coming too. If he yeah, he's got a big year next year. Himself. Right. So you know, he he'll need to refocus himself. And so I think you just hope with Jimmy Graham that he can come back. You know, maybe the ankle thing is partly to blame for it. Um, but you know, I, I think the league is all about attrition. You know, it's all about it, it's all about how deep you are at every position because there's going to be injuries. And um, I, so I think part of it with Graham at least is the injury. And then you look behind him, David Thomas is a shell of his former self, and, um, you know, they just haven't had tight ends behind him. And I just feel like Drew Brees' success has been such that with the tight end position really helping him that I'm disappointed that they didn't they didn't plan better for that. They didn't find, uh, you know, that guy out of ULL. Uh, that was the guy I really wanted them to draft. I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Yeah. Area green or something. But um, that was the guy I really wanted the Saints to draft because I was thinking, you know, if Jimmy Graham goes down, they need some young tight end that can catch balls and play well, and they didn't draft that. And, um, you know, Michael Higgins, I'm sorry, but I just don't, I don't see him as the – the future backup to Jimmy Graham, but you look at the Patriots, they're like seven players deep at that position um, because they know how valuable it is to their offense. So um, that that's the one thing I would like to see the Saints next year in the draft address is get an explosive guy that can line up a tight end, you know, whether that's going two tight end sets to get him involved that way or um, get him involved if, if Jimmy Graham were to go down. So, um, that's what I'd like to see the Saints. But like I said with Jimmy Graham, I, I think maybe it, it's a combination of injury and maybe his star status going in his head a little bit and make sure he's just going to have to refocus. Yeah, the uh, – you know, the, and like you said, I, I think with the Saints offense, they could draft the tight end in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. And as long as the guy is smart and has decent physical skills because of all the weapons the Saints have – I think if he would have to get significant playing time, I think he would be pretty good because this, just the way that how many, of how often Drew Brees throws to the tight end. I mean, Dave Thomas is a is a solid NFL player, but he just doesn't have the physical skills to get downfield the way Jimmy Graham does, or even in a way, Andrew. Of I mean, Dave. Dave Thomas is, is your classic like 80s Hobie Brenner tight end where, yeah, he can catch yeah. if he's open, but he's not pressuring any. Any team is not looking at Dave Thomas going, oh, no, the linebacker can't cover him or he's too big for a safety. Like they're just like, ah, Dave Thomas is out. You know, if he, if they, you know, if he beats his guy or they blow a coverage on tight like against Tampa, he can score. But, you know, and it's not to say he's not a good NFL player. He's a solid guy if you need a tight end that can catch a little bit and block and knows what he's doing. But they, I think the Saints almost need like a guy as a, the third guy to be like that's maybe not even close to a tight end, sort of like an Aaron Hernandez, where he's kind of more of an overgrown receiver and he can't really block for shit. But boy, you put him in the slot, the slot, teams are going crazy because they're like our linebackers can't cover him. Yeah, and, and look, the, the Saints use their reserve linemen as the jumbo tight ends anyway, so yeah. it's not like they need a blocking tight end like they signed Daniel Graham this year um, who ended up getting injured. But I'm just saying they don't need that guy. They can have an extra reserve lineman come in in the jumbo set. But I'd like to have a guy like that on the roster. And 
trust me, we're going to have a lot of time to talk about the draft. <laughs> we are. Um, probably before the season ends. But We are. Um, yeah, I think the little nugget I'll throw out there um, that I would like to see from the Saints and how they attack this draft, for me right now, um, the positions I'd like to see them go in is number one, you, the first pick has got to be an explosive defensive end that can rush the passer. Number two, I'd like to see him get a tackle because they're going to need depth in case Bushrod goes. And so, you know, Charles Brown and Streif will be back, and they're good players, hopefully. Um, but, you know, I'd like to see a tackle come in as a second-round pick if they get that pick back. If not, it would be a third. Yeah. And then after that, the two positions where I'd like to see some reserves, and we talked about tight ends, get a guy that kind of like Jimmy Graham in the later rounds that can give you some um, – some playmaking ability behind Jimmy Graham as a backup, which would be nice. Um, and then the last position that I think um, would be nice for them to have, you know, as, as they draft is um, is another corner, you know, get more depth behind Corey White, another guy they like. So. Yeah. The, the, and the interesting thing is hopefully they'll get that second round pick back. And I think they, I, I think they will. Um, the interesting thing. you think guy, they just get it back outright? I, I'm kind of thinking they get it back but they have to give up something else. I think he'll game. probably swap it out. It'll be like, we'll give you the second-round pick, but we'll take away the fifth-round pick or something. Right. But to me, that's I'll do that trade in a heartbeat. Um, the thing that, that – the, the guy that I think could be most interesting for the Saints is uh, Barrett Jones for Alabama, depending on where they – maybe not in the first round, but in the second round, just because he played center and he played right tackle and he could play some guard. And if you if, – if the Saints say they would lose – uh, Bushrod or whatever, you could pick him and you would have him and Charlie Charles Brown and he could play, you know, and then you'd have, he, you'd have a guy who had been really good in the SEC as like your swing guy, which would really give you depth on the offensive line, which you wouldn't have these panic things where we had with Streif, although, you know, when you get back down to the fourth guy, you're kind of screwed, but I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do in the draft because right now it's looking like they're going to be picking anywhere from like nine to 15 um you know but depending on the draft depends on if you know how they finish the season andrew and look they i said at the beginning they're not going to the playoffs but the fun thing is andrew they can kill a lot of dreams because they play the giants who are tied at 10 right now with washington they play tampa they play and they play dallas uh so they can have the they can have the most fun uh killing teams' playoff streams since 1989 when they had 4K come in the last three games and start, and they beat uh, Philly, who they cost Philly a home game, uh, they cost Buffalo a home game, and they knocked the, the Colts out of the playoffs on the final day. So they can do have a lot of fun and cause a lot of misery. Um, what sort of run by 4K was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It totally ruined them for like five years because they thought they had a quarterback and they traded for Steve Walsh and gave up like a one, a two, and a three instead of just re-signing Bobby Abair. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so that was fun. But but these last four weeks, besides winning and a miracle and all that fun stuff, what is what what realistically do you want to see them do and accomplish outside of winning games and making the playoffs? Uh, well, I think, I mean, if you ask me what I'd really like to see above all else is, is just the team play one complete game, you know, I, because I, I really just want to see, see one time, um, 
what, what this team, if, it, if the defense can put a game together like they put against um, the Falcons and the offense can put a game together like they put against the Raiders or something like that, um, if, if they can put 60 minutes of complete football together, um, they will dump truck someone badly. And it really doesn't matter who. I mean, it doesn't matter who they play. If everything can think, if Breeze isn't turning the ball over, if the running game is working, and the defense plays like they did against Atlanta, um, then you get kind of the 62-3 to rampage against the Colts that we were able to witness last year. And so I think that's what I want to see. I just want to see one game where everything comes together because and it's not even just for my own personal sanity or whatever, but um, it would really set the tone for next year and, and tell this team, okay, this is the way you need to play every yeah. game next year. And if you can put something like this together, then you can't be touched. And really, honestly, I'd like to see that happen against the Bucks. I mean, that would be a great opponent um, for them to come into the, into the Superdome, a team that's played well this year, and just um, beat a division rival senseless. And, and I, you know, I give the fan base a little vote for next year. But And I'll be there I for think, the game, so that sounds wonderful to me. Yeah, that, yeah, that would be nice. But I think I think the major thing here is, and I think every Saints fan is laying their hat on the fact that Sean Payton is going to make a major difference. And I buy into that to a degree, but um, I think this team has to make themselves right before Sean gets back. I don't think they can think. I don't think as fans or as players or as an organization, you can think that Sean's just going to come back, wave some magic wand, and all of a sudden everything's going to change. I think him coming back will help, but um, I want Sean Payton to come back into a situation where he's coaching a team that's on the rise, not a team that was five and five and lost their last, um, or sorry, five and six and lost their last five games, you know, to just mail in a season and finish five and eleven. That's not a situation. I mean, if the Saints were to completely implode and continue on the track they are now. And end this year at six and ten or five and eleven, and really play poorly. Then I think we have serious doubts, even with Sean Payton coming back. So um, I think it's important for this team that's been a strong to give themselves some confidence going into next year, no matter what. Yeah, I think I think the thing is too with the Saints. You know, if you look at the trend of the seven years since Drew Brees has been with the Saints, he always has, except for. Well, even in the Super Bowl year, he had a blip of – he had two bad games where he was bad against Dallas and he was bad against Tampa, and they lost those two games. So pretty much every year you can chart games where he has a two- or three-game stretch where he has about five or six interceptions. Now, this two-game stretch was seven interceptions. He's never hit bottom like this, but he always has it – I always call it the Drew Brees interception binge, and he always has it, and this year he seemed to have it at the worst time. So that said, Andrew, look, the Saints have a game this Sunday uh, at three o'clock. I'll be in Vegas, uh, so I'll maybe put some money on it. Um, how bachelor you, party? What's no, no bachelor, no bachelor party. Just, uh, just me and the wife uh, getting, nice. a, getting a super duper. If you go to Vegas in December, you can get like a super. We got like at the Aria Hotel, which is like really, really new and nice. And you get like a tickets to a show, and you get like a hundred dollar food and beverage card because it's December. People don't want to go to Vegas right before or after Christmas because the weather is not as nice. But I figure you're always in the casino anyway. It's not like you're outside, so fuck it if you can get a really good deal. But that being said, the Saints play the Giants. I think by 
time kickoff, uh, probably things will go against them, and you'll everyone will realize there's no playoff shot. But they are playing a really good team in the Giants. So how do you see this game going? And is Drew Brees going to pull out of this nosedive that he's in? Yeah, I think he has to. I just don't think there's any way um, he can play like he did, um, you know, in either game. I, I, I think he'll respond. I think he'll play well. Um, so, you know, I, I just think it's one of those things where that, that's been the calling card of the Saints 2012 season. You know, it's the expect the unexpected. <laughs> and the minute, the minute we expect them to play well, um, they lay a complete egg. And the minute that we are kind of resigned to the fact that they're terrible, um, they surprise us by playing some amazing football. So, um, you know, I, I, based on that, I, I think the trend will continue. And I think, like you said, I fully expect the teams that are supposed to lose for the Saints to have a chance. I expect them to win. And so that'll mean no playoffs for the Saints. And so they'll come out relaxed and they'll destroy the Giants. <laughs> yeah, it would, it, that, that would make perfect sense. Or They could destroy the Giants or it would be totally – just like the 2012 script for Drew Brees to have an FU game of 400 yards and 35 of 41 and four touchdowns and the defense to going back to being terrible. That right. would, so, I mean, we'll see. Andrew, the, the, the thing that's so, that's so frustrating for this season, I think is I'm convinced now that, there's going to be a nine and seven team in the NFC. I still think it. Um, and the shame of it was the Saints. They dug themselves and they just couldn't get over the hump. But if you, as we as we come to this as we come to this final month, who do you who do, who who would you say is your most pleasant surprise of the 2012 season for the Saints? And who who would you say player wise has been the biggest disappointment uh man that's tough uh, i wish you had prepared me for this <laughs> um i'm gonna say my biggest surprise um well i i expected curtis Lofton to be good um but i think i was pleasantly you know he lived up to expectations i mean and look he had some limitations but um, that, that, that's a playmaker. That, that's a good defensive player um, that this team can build build around. Um, so Curtis Lofton um, is a pleasant surprise. I mean, we've been talking about Hicks a lot. I think he's got to be a candidate too. As a rookie, a third round out of Canada, I think all of us were kind of scratching our heads, saying, "What is this guy doing? And why did the Saints pick him so high?" Um, but he, I think we all are pretty optimistic about him now that he's he's going to end up being a pretty good player for the Saints. So. Um, I'd say probably between those two. Um, you know, as far as the most disappointing, um, God, after the last two weeks, I, I almost want to say Drew Brees um, because um, he's uh, he's really struggled. But if I have to pick one person, I'm actually not going to pick a player. I'm going to pick a coach, and I'm going to say Spagnola. You know, um, I was really expecting him to come in and do a good job, and and. Uh, I don't think he can be fully blamed for what happened, and certainly Bounty Gate affected a lot of things. But um, for me, um, Spagnolo has been the biggest disappointment. Um, I, I think for the defense to 
be 32nd overall and, and just perform the way they performed for most of the season. Now, things are on an upward trend, and I'm optimistic for the future now based on the improvement. Um, but I don't think you can look at the season and say anything other than the fact that Spagnuolo has failed miserably as, at his job as defensive coordinator. Um, now, if I have to pick a defensive player or, or just a player in general, um, I think it's a toss-up between Jimmy Graham, who I think has had a major regression, and uh, Malcolm Jenkins, who just continues as a free safety um, to just be a total disappointment and he's not living up to his draft status. So, um, you know, between those two, I'd probably go with Jenkins just because Graham's at least done something this year. Well, I have to say, uh, when they drafted Malcolm Jenkins, uh, he's one of the guys that I got right, and I made a joke in my column, and people ripped me for it. They said, you know, because when they drafted Malcolm Jenkins, the Saints said, you know, uh, he's a corner, but if he can't play corner, we can move him to safety. And in my column, I said, that's like going to the – to Best Buy and buying a 50 screen inch TV and saying, if it doesn't work, we can use it as an end table. Like that's not a reason to draft a player to say, if he doesn't work out here, we can put him there. Um, You know, and he's just been sort of, you know, the thing that the thing is Malcolm Jenkins, he peaked, he peaked Thanksgiving day in 2010. Um, Yeah. I mean, he's made some plays this year. For me, the the most disappointing thing is that he just hasn't been consistent. Yeah. Um, There's just so many times where there's major lapses. um, But I'd say the most frustrating thing for me is that I was promised ball skills. I was promised that this guy was a ball hawk that had good awareness, and I've seen none of that. I mean, the the only thing I've seen for him that's been good in his entire career with the Saints is he's physical, and he hits like a mule, and he hustles. I mean, I've seen him do those things, and those have been nice. But in terms of play recognition, overall awareness, and ball skills, that's where I was promised when the Saints drafted him, and I haven't seen that in, in his entire career. So no. that's what's most disappointing. No, my guy that's been the most pleasant surprise is Cam Jordan. I, I thought when they drafted him, I thought he would be one of those guys that would be in the three to six, seven sack range, but really good against the run, but would be like a workmanlike player where you're like, yeah, we have him on the team because we can't pay everybody, and he's okay. But I changed my opinion of him. Andrew, I think he can be an 8 to 11 sack guy. He'll be really good against the run, and I think he has the potential to be even better if the Saints could find a dominant number one pass rush guy to put on the other end of him. Like if you say you say they hit and they get like a Freeney, who's like a 15, 16 sack guy, you pair him with Cam, Cam Jordan – uh, I think you're you're dealing with something really special then. So I think he has been a pleasant surprise for me. Um, you know, and the dis- and and to me the the disappointing thing, the disappointing player for me for the Saints uh, this year, it, it, you know, it's Drew Brees. You know, look, they paid him a hundred million dollars, and I know he's had. A, He's, they, they don't have Sean Payton, and they don't have all that, and I get it, and he's been under a lot of pressure, and it's a lot of strain. But look, And he's had some good games. You know, and he's, he's had a couple of big games, but he hasn't, really had, he hasn't had a signature come from behind, drive him late. He hasn't had, um, you know, the, the, 
the, he hasn't had, I would say this probably is one of his his worst years since he threw 22 interceptions. But the fact of the matter is, Andrew, they were five and five, and about to close out their best half of football. And the guy that makes the most money in the NFL single-handedly cost them San Francisco and single-handedly cost them Atlanta. And to me, that's a, that, that's the huge disappointment. And, you know, with a lot of money comes a lot of responsibility and a lot of expectations, and he just – he didn't deliver. And that, that to me, is, the, is one of the when – the, when, the, when the – when sort of the, the – uh, the obituary of 2012 is written, that's going to be in the first paragraph, and you can't, you know, that's just stunning that it's going to be involving Drew Brees failing so spectacular. Well said. So, Andrew, but you didn't give me, you, 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 fully, expect the, you fully expect the Saints to win against the Giants. Um, one last thing, and we didn't touch on it, but uh, I'm convinced more than ever that Atlanta's going out first round of the playoffs. And I think they might be 14-2, and two and they're still losing their opening game. Yep. No no, uh, no disagreements here. I, I think, once again, you look at the game against the Saints, and they prove that um, they're not particularly great at coaching. Um, the Saints weren't stopping the run at all. And mm-hmm. they kept throwing the ball on first down. I, I still like. I still just Ralph. I can't fathom how many times this season, college and pro, that teams get away from what's working. I just don't understand it. And, and that was certainly the case. The Falcons just ran the ball at will down the same throat. I think that they only threw one pass the entire first drive, and it scored in about seven plays, only yeah. 85 yards on the same. And then they completely get, got away from it and started throwing every play. They're like, oh, well, you know, Matt, 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 Matt Ryan's going to throw to our receivers. And, and for whatever reason, I, I can't blame them for doing it because I would have thought it would have worked too. I don't understand why it didn't. But, well, I'll tell you uh, one I'll tell you one thing. I, anyway, so, no, I, I, so I think it's bad coaching. Um, but go ahead. No, I was going to say – you know, everybody's rooting for him to, you know, lose because, you know, we're st- the Saints are still alive and we're rooting for him to lose. But to me, I think, unfortunately for the Saints, Seattle turned a corner yesterday when Russell Wilson mm-hmm. led him on a 95-yard drive. And I think yeah. they're, 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 there's a, still a possibility that they might get to 10 wins. I don't think they will, but they might. I'll tell you what. I think if they get the sixth seed and they would go and win their opening game, I think they would be a terrible matchup for Atlanta because they can run the ball with Marshawn Lynch. Uh, Russell Wilson can make plays. And I think their defense, if their their corners will probably be back from suspension, I think their defense could stone Atlanta. I think of all the teams, I think they're the worst possible matchup for Atlanta. Um, so if the Saints aren't making the playoffs, which they are not. Oh, if, I'm, if I'm Atlanta, the best matchup is the Packers. And that's the team that embarrassed them last time they played, but I don't think this Atlanta team matches up well at all against Chicago. I don't think they match up well at all against the Giants. I don't think they match up well at all against the 49ers. I don't think they match up well at all against the the Seahawks. None of those teams. I, I don't favor the Falcons against any of those teams I just listed. So if yeah. I'm the Falcons, I am praying that somehow Green Bay comes in and into Atlanta 
And then you've got to hope that Aaron Rodgers doesn't do what he did to him last time, which is still entirely possible. So yeah, um, but no, I, I'm not picking the Falcons. You know, and to be that. fair, to be fair to Atlanta is is you know everybody's like ah Green Bay curb stomped them, but you know that game was close until. Uh, Matt Ryan threw the interception right before half Green Bay scores and he gets a blood. But in that game, I want to say Aaron Rodgers' quarterback rating was like 157 out of 158. Like, he was literally perfect, you know. And Green Bay is not nearly – Green Bay is not nearly as good as they were last year. I mean, they, they – their defense is still pretty much terrible. Christian, Pond, Christian Ponder was just awful in the red zone. They can't run the football – and their line is beat up, and you can get to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the Saints couldn't because the Saints don't have a pass rush. But if you if you have a good front seven like Seattle and like Chicago, you can get to Aaron Rodgers, and it's proven. So, I mean, we'll see. But hopefully, Andrew, next week we'll talk, and uh, the Saints will be 6-7, and seven, and Drew Brees has pulled out of this tailspin. Um you know, but at this at, at, at this rate, I, I don't know what to, I don't I don't know I don't know what to expect. Part of me thinks the Saints they can't possibly fall to five and eight, but uh, but who the hell who the hell knows, my friend? Uh, go there, make your picks. You can win fifty dollars with his. Explain that to the people. You got a you got a you got a contest on your website. Yeah, I do. So it's, I call it the Saints Nation Guru, and basically, um, you can go there and and uh, I have a post each week where. You can make picks. I ask four questions and a bonus question, so five total. And you give me answers in the comment section. If you win for the week, you get your picture pimped in a blog post, and you get a shout-out for me. And you get, um, in the standings, you, you get basically a, a weekly win um, in the standings. And so at the end of the season, whoever has the most, uh, most weekly wins gets a $50 gift card to the NFL shop to um, spend it on whatever they want, hopefully fancier. Nice. Um, but but uh, right now the leader of the pack has two wins, so uh, there's four games left. And so uh, if you haven't participated yet, all you have to do is just go to thesaintsnation.com, look for the blog post that says Saints Nation Guru, make your picks for this week, and if you win, you are just one one win behind the leader for uh, for a chance to win 50 bucks for free. So. Exactly. Go there. Read all this stuff. It's awesome. And we've only got four Saints games left, plus an LSU bowl game. So, unfortunately, football season, as far as watching the local teams, is winding down. Uh, Andrew, my friend, be safe, and we'll talk to you uh, next Monday. Yeah, I'm good, Rob. Thanks, Rob.